Welcome to the Tomes and Tropes podcast, where books and friendships collide. I'm Becca. And I'm Carrie, and we're two friends who love to talk about books. So today we are talking about The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, part three. Today's content warning is a reminder that this book has an age rating of 17 plus, but we will be doing our best to keep the adult content to a minimum. And as a reminder, we will not be spoiling any future parts of this book. So today we are discussing part three of the book. So if you haven't finished that part, go finish reading it and we'll be here when you're done. Now it's time for our one sentence summaries where we summarize each chapter we're going to go through today in one sentence. As a reminder, in this episode, we will be talking about part three named 300 years and three words. This gave me chills. Ooh, good. (laughs) part three chapter one paris 1724 addie meets remy who marvels over her observation and mirroring of the paris male youth before she asks if he'd like to go to notre dame chapter two new york city 2014 addie feels anxious about how long she has to wait to see henry again and discovers she is nervous for the first time in a very long time Chapter 3, New York City, 2014. Addie meets Henry at the bookshop before their date, where he takes her to a pinball speakeasy where she is finally able to play. Chapter 4, Paris, 1724. Remy and Addie swap stories, then go back to his place, and Addie has an experience unlike one she's ever had before, but is hurt when he forgets her and gives her payment. Chapter 5, New York City, 2014. Addie takes Henry to her brainchild, the fourth rail, where they dance the night away before heading back to his apartment and he says her real name again and again. Chapter 6, Paris, 1724. After the ordeal with Remy, Luke makes a visit because he knows that she is vulnerable, and we learn more about the anniversary when he never came. Chapter 7, New York City, 2014. Addie wakes up to a dreamlike morning where Henry is making breakfast, and then she explores his apartment trying to figure out who he is after he leaves. Chapter 8, New York City, 2014. Having forgotten that he was supposed to go to B's dinner party during their date, Henry invites Addie to come, and on their way there, they pick up dessert, and he gives her a rundown of his friends. Chapter 9, Paris, 1751. Addie works herself into Madame Joffrin's house, where she sees older Remy right before Luke comes in and ruins her night. Chapter 10, New York City, 2014. Before the dinner party can go horribly wrong, Addie leaves and cites it's because Robbie made some comments, and we learn that he is clearly in love with Henry. Chapter 11, New York City, 2014. Henry skips work to spend the day with Addie, but when they run into Robbie at the coffee shop, she is forced to tell her story to Henry, who apparently is the only one who could possibly hear it. Chapter 12, Villan, France, 1764. It's been 50 years since Addie has been to Villan. She visits her father's abandoned workshop. Everything is worn or gone, except her mother, who still lives in the house. Chapter 13, New York City, 2014. Addie finishes the story of her secret, and Henry laughs, which confuses her significantly until Henry admits that he also made a deal. You know, rereading through these chapter summaries, I'm, like, remembering a lot that happened here that I did not remember. So Mm -hmm. this is a good thing that we do these. (laughs) 
so good. Now we are going to move on to our initial thoughts and reactions for part three. Carrie, what did you think about part three? I devoured part three. I read this part so fast. It was the fastest part I've ever read uh, from this book so far. I mean, we only have three, but still, bear with me. Um, When we met Remy and we got to meet, like, get to really know Henry, I just was immersed into the story. I was so excited to read more. And I honestly really felt like Addie as she fell in love with him and felt like the fear and sadness about Remy. And then like feeling about Henry like oh how's this gonna go like I had to know um I really enjoyed this part even though I was surprised at how fast she has already moved with Henry but I really really loved the morning scene with Henry and just how much of a contrast it was from previous morning scenes that we've had before so with that Becca what did you think I struggled through part three. I, I, so I felt like it was slow when I was reading it and I didn't feel like a lot happened while I was reading it. Now going back and like rehashing it out for doing the podcast, I was like, oh man, like, I guess a lot really did happen here, but um, I don't think it was so bad that I would have like DNF'd it if it wasn't for the podcast. Like I probably still would have kept reading, but I struggled to read through this. <laughs> you mentioned Remy already and the emotional roller coaster that that situation was. I did like that. I had all the feels when we when that oh, situation gosh. ended. All the feels. I did like the parts about Henry too. But I really did not like the dinner party scene. And, you know, I think what part three was hard for me was that it felt too normal. It felt too close to real life. And Mm. I know that Addie wanted a normal life, right? We we get that when she when we're talking about like her waking up at Henry's place and dreaming about this normal morning where somebody's making breakfast and somebody actually remembers but I think that's why I struggled through it is because it felt so normal I didn't feel like I was reading this fantasy type book or this mystery type book because I think we still have some mysteries but I think that's why I probably struggled through it but oh my gosh the last five words of this of this part chills literal chills so much so that i turned the page and almost kept reading and i was like no i can't i can't we're really trying to make sure this stays spoiler free like the amount of self-control i had to have to not read part four before recording this has been one of the hardest things i've had to do and that's being dramatic but it's it's very hard (laughs) The hard part for me, though, is I feel like we've said that for all three parts so far. I feel like we said it for part one. I feel like we said it for part two. And it this part was d- disappointing for me because I really wanted to read it. I really wanted to love it. And I just, for me to struggle through it, it was just a little disappointing. So, so yeah. 
would you I know you've talked about before how you like different POVs do you think you would have liked this part better if you had a different point of view at some point in this part like if we had had maybe Henry's or Remy's or even Luke's Ooh. I really I, I just said that but I really really hope we get a Luke POV I don't know if we can get a God's POV, but so I'm a little I nervous really about that. Luke. I'm a little nervous about Luke, and I really don't want to know. I mean, I do want to know. I do want to know <laughs> how the book ends, but I don't know if I'm yet ready to have a Luke POV. I think I would have loved to have Henry's point of view, and I think based on the end of part three, we will be getting more Henry's POV in part four. I think that's going to be a significant part of part four. So I think the answer is probably yes. I felt like I wanted something else in part three. So I do agree. I do think I would have liked it better had I had a different POV. I think for the last chapter would have been awesome as Henry's POV just like getting his take on what she's about to tell him but I also understand why Schwab didn't because we also have been in Addie's POV for the entire book mostly yeah and getting her to tell her truth for the first time is like I could feel the anxiety I could feel like how is he gonna react but I really and then he laughs oh typical boy stressing us out (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no I agree I think yeah I think you're right I think having that perspective at the end of that part would have been nice but Mm -hmm. like I said I think part four is going to be a lot of Henry's story so I'm very interested to see kind of how that comes about it's oh I'm here for this Henry POV (laughs) I'm very excited all right so we have three meet cutes for our meet cute section. They are Remy Laurent. So no, this isn't the infamous Ratatouille chef, uh, but it is, I believe, another uh, lover of Addie. So Remy is super ambitious. He is desiring to make his way into the intellectual world during this enlightenment period in France. So He's also, she notes, and I talk about this later, but that he just is constantly laughing. And I just, my heart just melts at that. They actually connect with the idea of wanting something bigger, even when they were from small towns, which I thought was super important to their kind of love story. Yes, I agree. Next, we have Robbie. Robbie is a friend, and we did meet him early. (laughs) Becca's making a gross face, (laughs) gagging face. I love it. Um, Robbie, we did meet him earlier in the book. So this time we get a little bit more, I think, interaction with him. So he's a friend. He's an ex-lover of Henry's. We do know he's an actor. So maybe we'll see him on Broadway. Who knows? Well, he was already in a play. He was, but it was off-Broadway. Off-Broadway. That's yeah. true. But still, we're rooting for Robbie to get a Broadway role. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, Henry used to be really wildly in love with him. We learned that Robbie is still in love with Henry based on his actions at the dinner party and towards Addie. So we'll keep an eye on that. Next, we have B. I did not like Robbie. Oh, yeah, I can tell. We it's okay. I think <laughs> it's possible that he is also part of the reason I struggled through part three. So maybe he he seems problematic. <laughs> Very problematic. And I don't always love like a love triangle trope. So we'll talk more about that later. Ooh, I'm excited. <laughs> All right. So our last meet cute is B. Um, it's a nickname for Beatrice. We learned her middle name's Helen. So I I just I heard that in the audiobook last night, so I want to throw that in there. Ooh. So we know B is a close friend with Henry. She's an art student who's doing her dissertation. Like everyone else, B forgets Addie, but is all kindness towards her. So I just really love that. Yeah. Honestly, B reminds me of my sister-in-law. And I just really loved that. Like super kind, super like welcoming to people, just wanting to be with her people, but also like inviting other people to be her people. So I just really... I really liked B because I was like, oh, I, I know someone just like that. <laughs> I think I want to be B when I grow up. Yeah. Just like welcoming and open and super goals. accepting. Yeah. <laughs> um. So apparently there is a thing that happened between a professor and B. Uh, can't wait to get the tea on that. So we'll keep you updated. I don't know if we are going to get the tea on that. I hope we do. I feel like we... Like, Henry has mentioned it so many times. We have to get the tea. I don't feel like we are. Maybe that's something we keep track of is if we get the tea mm. on this because I am firmly in the camp that we we don't get the tea. Why would we? I don't know. I just like tea. I, don't, I, wanna, <laughs> I just want to know the drama. <laughs> true, true. Our next section is our quotables, where we introduce quotes and notable parts that we want to talk about. So our first quotable actually comes from Carrie. Let's do it. So in chronological order, as always, here we go. So it's in chapter two. So Addie is nervous about seeing Henry again and thinks there's no reason to be when you're always alone, when any awkward moment can be erased by a closed door, an instant apart, and every meeting is a fresh start, a clean slate. So I love this because as an introvert, I am a little socially awkward at times, so I would absolutely love to have this part of her curse, like to be able to like redo what I say the amount of times I sit up at night thinking about like how I wish I could go back and take that back <laughs> every night probably <laughs> so yeah. I I would really I thought this was a good part of Addie's curse which we haven't seen too many good parts yet mm. besides her like having the unlimited time to like learn and stuff but I I thought for this social aspect, this is a really, really positive part. So, Becca, would you like this part of the curse? 
Well, it's funny because this was going to be one of my quotables because I felt the exact same way. I, I'm i not an introvert. I'm actually an extrovert, so I'm recharged by other people's presence. I also am an overthinker. So for me to be an extrovert and an overthinker and overthinking every situation that I go through because I'm I'm worried about people's perception of me, which I should probably stop, but that's another point. Relatable. I, yeah, I would love, I don't know love necessarily, but this would be a good part of her curse for me. So mm-hmm. I, I do agree. I would potentially like this having a clean slate, but I also think that our awkwardness sometimes is part of our charm. So <laughs> that's part of like who we are. So I don't know if I would I also don't think that this takes away the overthinking nature which is the true problem Mm. you right (laughs) (laughs) so in some ways this would be good because it's a clean slate I don't have to worry about it but in other ways it would be like well now I have 300 years to overthink this interaction and I cannot forget (laughs) oh my the that's part of my curse so that's a great point so yes and no and if we had to tip a scale still going no all right so next one is from chapter three so this is when henry and Addie are in the speakeasy type arcade Mm. game area i forget the name but uh her name is actually saved in the pinball machine when she reaches the high score which I just loved a little nod to her little extra mark on the world, even when she's forgettable. Like, not that she herself is, but because of her curse. We'll we'll never forget you, Addie. But I want to know, like, why the curse allows this. Like, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. So I do, actually. So we learn that other people are allowed to make marks on her behalf. We learned this when she poisons the one guy in her room that if she pours the drink, it's a mark because she actually does it. But if he pours, if she puts the poison in the drink and then recorks the bottle and then he pours the drink, like she, that works. So it's going around the curse a little bit. She doesn't actually put her name in the pinball machine it's henry so i think henry putting it in is part of it i also think that just because her name is in there doesn't necessarily mean that she's not still anonymous because it is a speakeasy it is a public place like if you go to like an arcade for example and you see all the high scores you have no idea who those people are you're just trying to beat them So I think it's a combination between both of those things that is it, it is a mark, but it's almost a, it, it's close enough to a lack of a mark because it's, it, you're still technically anonymous. And the fact that Henry actually put her name in, not her. True. I didn't even think of that. All right. So my next one, and then I finally will let Becca talk is chapter four. She is talking about Remy, and she says, Remy Laurent is laughter bottled into skin. It spills out of him at every turn. 
So this isn't the first time she's like mentioned how full of laughter he is. She mentions how he laughs or um, how laughter just like bubbles out of him. And I just I feel like Remy would just be so fun to be around. And he's also very smart, too. So he would have yeah. a good conversation, but he also knows how to have a lot of fun. So I don't know if that's like important at all. Just that it was very pointed schwab was like he likes to laugh and so i just wanted to bring that up yeah i feel like everybody wants a remy in their life oh yeah my first quotable is also from chapter four and it says it will be many years before she can read greek many more before she hears the myth of sisyphus but when she does she will nod in understanding palms aching from the weight of the push of pushing the stones uphill heart heavy from the weight of watching them roll down again. So this quote comes right after her night with Remy. And I'm going to give an adult content warning here. Skip maybe, skip forward maybe like four or five minutes. So first of all, when I read this part, heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. I... To know that he, we find out later in this part that he made such an impact on her and, like, the last thing he did was, like, pay her. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. This is what I meant earlier, kind of, when I was going through, like, all the tug of emotions. Like, this is one (laughs) of those parts that, like, really got me. I didn't cry when I was reading it, but, like, my heart dropped. And I could feel what Addie was feeling in that moment. Mm-hmm. So definitely great writing there. <laughs> this is where the adult content really comes in. So you have skipped forward and you're here. Skip forward again another like two or three minutes. I just wanted to point out here that this confused me a little bit, mostly because of what we know about Remy so far. So like you said above, Remy Laurent is laughter bottled in the skin. And maybe I don't know enough about the times. As a reminder, we're in Paris in the 1700s. Like maybe I just don't know enough. But based on what we do know about Remy and their encounter and their situation, He's really not the kind of guy who would have, like, a paid lady friend. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I just don't feel like that's his personality. I don't feel like that's something he would do. I don't feel like that's a, a decision that he would make even if he was, like, drunk or whatever. Like, I just don't feel like that was consistent with his character. No. Okay, adult content over. (laughs) So what I really wanted to point out here was the Greek myth of Sisyphus. So all of this information moving forward is coming from GreekMythology.com. Shout out to them. So according to Greek mythology, Sisyphus was the king of Corinth who was very sly and very deceitful. He regularly violated the, I'm going to butcher this, the Xenia? which was the idea that you showed travelers generosity and hospitality when they came to your place of dwelling. So for him, it would have been like travelers that were coming into Corinth. 
Instead, he regularly killed travelers that were coming into his palace or into his dwelling place to prove that he was a ruthless king, which is what he really wanted to be known for. King Sisyphus is also involved in a lot of other stories in Greek mythology. There's a story that he tricks Thanatos, I'm going to say, who is kind of like Hades, I think. I'm not as up to snuff on my Greek mythology as I am like my Roman. I get those two mixed up. But regardless, he tricks Thanatos, who is the god, one of the gods of the underworld, if not the god of the underworld. And he tricks him into showing him how the chains work and then chains him up. And then that means nobody can actually like die, which sounds like a blessing. But in reality, it's a curse because like if somebody's sick, like they aren't able to find peace or if somebody's really injured, they're not able to find peace. So it just long story short, he's involved in a lot of trickery and deceit and lying. And so Zeus fed up with his debauchery punishes him for eternity and his punishment is that he has to push a boulder up a hill and every time he gets up a hill the boulder rolls back down so it's this constant like doing of a task when the result doesn't change right so that was a horrible punishment for him because not only is like think about it he's a king he's doing all this physical labor now like he didn't have to do that before but also nothing ever comes of it. So the thought is that this myth represents the persistent, futile endeavors of the human spirit, that we are constantly trying to do a task and we are so persistent at it, but nothing ever comes of it. And that's kind of the idea. So first of all, how depressing the poor Greeks that had to listen to this or the poor children that this was like, they were taught this, this myth about, about Sisyphus and how futile it is and all these things. So first of all, very depressing. But second of all, I think this myth is very paralleled in what we're seeing in Addie's life. So her repeated prayers to the gods before she met Luke. So her repeated prayers to the gods with no different results of like Mm. getting away from Roger, pretty sure his name was. We're going to go with that. But her repeated prayers like that was persistent, but futile. There is the same thing of her trying to tell her name and her story to all these people who are never going to forget or are never going to remember. So she's constantly trying to get her name out there and she just can't. The closest she can get so far is Anna, which is what she tells Remy until she gets to Henry, right? So she's been trying for 300 years to tell somebody her name. Same thing where she consistently hopes that people will remember her. We get that from almost the first chapter of this book with Toby. Throwing it back to Toby again. Toby. Like, she is always hoping, like, is today going to be the day that they remember? And I think, again, there's she's rolling the boulder up the hill of creating memories with these people and every morning the boulder rolls back down the hill and or when she leaves their site or whatever that is and she's just constantly in this like 
I'm building these memories with these people, but they don't remember. So I thought there was there were a lot of parallels here with the myth and with Addie's life that I just thought were really interesting. All right. So the next one's chapter five. So the quote is, they do not fit together perfectly. He was not made for her the way Luke was, but this is better because he is real and kind and human and he remembers. So first off, I'm always going to love when we reference that he remembers. Like, yay, Henry. We love it. A little bit of an adult content warning here because my heart dropped when he when she said he was not made for her the way Luke was concerning but i was confused and didn't remember if luke could actually touch her and if that meant just more of like her drawing of the guy that she had always dreamed of so i went back and luke can definitely touch her so the first the three examples i could find Part one, chapter nine, he touches her cheek. They have a lover's embrace and the kiss where, if you remember, he like kind of bit her lip mm. and um, there was no like trace of it later. But um, so there's that. Then in part two, chapter four, he touches her arm. He touches her on the neck like a lover. And then part two, chapter 10, um, it t- specifically talks about pleasure from the touches so very interesting i think we're gonna find out more because there's no way this sentence means just this so i'm scared i'm very scared so okay so at the beginning of i think in part one we talked about how i got like chills when we were introduced to luke right and I clearly said I did not think that it was going to be a romantic type thing. I th- I thought it was going to be like this cat and mouse game. I am getting concerned that, <laughs> like you said, I think Luke is going to be a lover. And I we're going to talk about that in the sevens. But I so I have a couple ideas. First of all. I don't get me wrong. I love an enemies to lovers. Love an enemies to lovers. That's my favorite trope. We've we've all gone over this. I will be heartbroken. Like I will be so upset if this is an enemies to lovers story of Addie and Luke. Mm-hmm. Mostly because there is such a an unequal power dynamic here that if that's the case i don't think it can be enemies to lovers like i just i it just would be too uncomfortable for me to know that there is this power dynamic and that he cursed her in a way that makes her crave his presence And that's just, like, not a lover. I think that's just, like, very deceitful. I also think, like, he's a god. She's not. Like, I don't know. I just don't love that. I'm also concerned that this is going to be a love triangle. Because we have Addie. We have Luke. We have Henry. Is this a love triangle? I don't know. No, Schwab. No. Yes. 
all of that to say is I do think Luke is going to be a lover. My other question for you, Carrie, Ooh. is we've referenced the New Orleans situation. Is Luke the New Orleans situation? I have no idea. I don't feel like we know enough. She does mention when they're talking about the ring with Henry's ex who he proposed to and she said no and she was like we all have our battle scars or Mm -hmm. battle from the past and she does think about the New Orleans thing but we're not getting a whole lot yet and that's I'm dying to know I really I, I don't I really hope it's not Luke but I think because we get seven lovers depending on how many more we get throughout the book, because we already have, like, Sam. And, I mean, you'll talk about all this in the sevens segment. So, I don't know. I think it's going to be – I hope it's going to be a New Orleans dude and not Luke. Or a woman. We'll see. Our next one is from Chapter 6. It says, To decipher this first novel will take her almost a year. A year spent laboring over every line, trying to make sense of a sentence, then a page, then a chapter. And still, it will be a decade more before the act comes naturally, before the task itself dissolves, and she finds the hidden pleasure of the story. I just loved this quote because I think it, again, is a nod to her strength as a character. Like, she taught herself how to read here. She's the one who made the effort. And I can't imagine her warring off this idea of, putting the ring on or what we can assume putting the ring on means and that he she's like ready to give up her soul. I cannot imagine her lasting this long without the ability to read and experience the stories. Like one of the things that I think is so cool about reading is that you get to know the characters and they're your friends and they are you feel like you know them. And I think movies don't give you that necessarily. T- I would argue like TV series good because you're yeah. watching them for a long time. But a book, you are knowing their thoughts. You're learning about them. You're spending an extended period of time with the characters in these books. And I think that's where Addie's getting her little, like when she's lonely, she can pick up a comfort book, you know? So I think we would not be getting this story had she not learned to read. Mm. I also think this was such a humbling reminder for me that reading is such a privilege and such a blessing, right? Mm -hmm. Not everybody likes to read. My husband is one of them. He does not like to read. He, He just would rather sit and watch a movie, which is fine. No judgment, right? Like he, we all experience stories in a different way. But not everybody likes to read. And for some, it's really hard or impossible to read. Like I think of people like I have friends with dyslexia who really struggle to read. And that's why audiobooks have been such a blessing for them because they do get to experience the story. But actually, the physical act of reading for them would be really hard. Some people also never got over the, quote, task of reading, right? Something, And I'm going to throw it back to my husband again. But, like, he sees reading as such a task. He doesn't see it as an enjoyment. He sees it as, oh, I have to read because he really only read for school. And it was a task. It was something hard for him. And it was something that he just didn't like. And he never got over the feeling of it being a task. And I think it's such 
an exciting thing that we can actually enjoy a story and we can read and enjoy the story and see the hidden pleasure behind it, I think is such, like I said, it's such a privilege. It's such a blessing. And I, I loved that this, I felt like this was a real nod to the fact that not everybody gets to do this and how blessed we are that we can. I missed that she hadn't been able to read before this mm-hmm. part. And I, I think there was a very good like slap in the face by Schwab and be like, remember where she is and what time frame she's in. Yeah. So I love that. Our next one is from chapter seven. It says, most people have a shelf of cups. Henry has a wall. They hang from hooks on a mounted rack, five across, seven down. Some of them are patterned. Some of them are plain and no two are the same. I also have a mug collection. I also have a mounted rack of mugs that are five across now mine is nine down so i have a little bit more but (laughs) he's also in a brag city apartment so he probably has less space that's fair that's fair but i knew i loved henry and then i read this and i was like (laughs) my guy i love him so my mugs are also not the same. I have my favorite mugs, my three favorites. Actually, I have four favorites. Mm-hmm. I have one that is from Disney that says home, and I've never had a mug mold to my hand the same way before or after, before or since. So that's one of my favorites. My second favorite is my Phantom of the Opera mug, 10 out of 10, mm-hmm. only because fan of the opera actually <laughs> it also molds to my hand really well but that's besides the point third is the one i'm actually using today it's a south carolina aquarium mug and i just think it's so pretty that it I, is like it's like a turtle and it's watercolored and ah so pretty number four is my wicked mug which is just like it's like a normal shape but it's like matted in lime green and it's Ah. wicked so exactly and it's wicked so have a lot of mugs i also have a really a couple really fun mugs i have a stitch mug that when you drink it looks like you have stitches mouth which is always fun oh I, i miss that one I always I try not to use it during the day because I'm on meetings a lot and typically during meetings I like will drink from my mugs and I don't like I try to be professional so doesn't always work but I try a petition for you to use that next meeting all right we'll see we'll see it's also like humongous like I have to I have to use two tea bags and it still is like not as full like humongous thing and then carrie's favorite she she was at my house the other day carrie's favorite is i have a minions mug that is also humongous but that one's a lot of fun too so anyways long story short my guy henry i knew (laughs) i loved him he's the best and i love mugs so i also that like I think Schwab must also like mugs because Sam also had an assortment of mugs. I totally remember. missed that. Remember, like, she asked Addie if she wanted dogs or cats, but it was, like, blue or green and then didn't, like, explain. 
Yes, you're right. So I forgot about that. Schwab, let's go. Yes. <laughs> Our next quotable is from chapter seven. It's quote, Henry leaves the front door swinging shut behind him. But for once, the sound doesn't make her stomach drop. It's just a door, not a period, not an ellipsis, A to B continued. So this just made my heart so happy. I also love the little nods to grammar. And I just, I love the imagery here from Schwab. We can really feel this scene. We can almost feel what she is feeling in this moment. Because the hope, the, we went through her with Toby and Sam and all these other people where she is forgotten. And now we have, he's making breakfast and he spent the morning with her, but he does leave and she feels comforted in the fact that like, this isn't the end and I don't have to do this again tomorrow. So loved that. Yeah. Chapter seven. (laughs) I spent a lot of time on this particular quotable here. So we, in chapter seven, after Henry leaves, we get a look into Henry's deal, which I think will involve time based on, we'll talk about it. So, in chapter three, they're on their date. They just left the speakeasy uh, arcade and Henry freaks out and has a panic attack about her having already seen the movie that she took him to see. Still confused on that. Not sure why. He just says, like, I don't you feel like you're always running out of time? So um, time again. Big. Just keep that in mind. Yes. And then. Part two, chapter nine, she gets a little too close to the truth when she says that she sees someone who is lost and hungry and the kind of person who feels like they're wasting away in a world of food because they can't decide what they want. I think that also kind of nods to time again, where he's maybe he's wasting away like he's running out of time. Why do you ride like you're running out of time? (laughs) Any Hamilton fans? I didn't write that down, but I'm very proud of my brain. Good job. Good job. Love that. I love when I can bring a <laughs> Hamilton reference. <laughs> Again, I think when he stays the night with the random woman at the party in part two, and he is asking her if this is what she wants, but surmises that he will never know the truth in that question. Oh, yeah. That's not I really related to time. That. I don't know if that's related to time or if that's part of whatever deal he has made. I feel like his deal is very multi-layered and I'm nervous. I am so. too. I also think that Luke gave him Luke made a deal. Like it was he made a deal with Luke. I guess we'll see. All right. So, let's run back to chapter 7 real fast. In part 3, we have a lot of different things that Addy is looking at particularly that I wanted to point out. So, we have prescriptions. We have pink pills marked with a post-it and and a tiny umbrella. Wait, hold on. Yeah. Do you know what the umbrella is from? No. B has, remember, B has those pills. She calls them her umbrella pills. Mm, I forgot about that. I was, yeah, I saw that and I was like, ooh, I was like, that's such a smart way to do it. Good, good catch. I love that. So we also have a stack of notebooks that are completely blank. Red flag. 
red flag what's going on that's a huge mm. one i was freaking out my heart was pumping it's fine um <laughs> <laughs> an old photo of henry and robbie boo but i think is important an old-fashioned watch with no minute hand and hour points past six i'm going to stop right here before i i get the the last few this is noted in when Henry, when we have Henry's point of view and he's meeting with his sister for coffee, that he wears this watch and that mm-hmm. it doesn't actually have a time. So I didn't catch that in the first read, but when I was lis- listening to the audiobook, I remembered that we also saw this in part three. Okay. So I'm wondering, this is my theory. I'm wondering if this is the equivalent of the ring. So if that's his like thing that he can't get rid of, except it's related to time somehow. It's probably a little different since he can take it on and off, but Interesting. I'm dying to find out what it is. I wonder if it like, instead of making it his choice, like it's counting down to something. Mm-hmm. Anyways. So we also have the clock on the wall that actually reads the correct time, which was 932. And then a handkerchief dotted with blood that holds an engagement ring. I don't know whose blood, why there's blood, why he would keep a handkerchief with blood. I'm concerned because that seems very intentional. This this part of the chapter in chapter seven felt like such an I spy thing. I'm like looking into everything, every item that Hattie was looking at. It's like, is that it? What's this mean? What is this? So I think his deal will have something to do with time or truth or again, because we can't forget the part where everyone seems to like him and treat him really well. So I think I really think his deal is going to be multi-layered and harder to understand than Addie's. But we'll see. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be harder to understand as much as we are familiar with Addie's curse at this point. That's true. We do know how it starts and what yeah. she specifically asked for, where we don't know that for Henry yet. Yeah, exactly. I, guess we'll I think see. it's also important, going back to point of views, like we are seeing this through Addie's point of view. So, but I liked how you said it was like I spy because I didn't, this is not a part that stuck out to me at all. Mm. It was definitely fun. I liked it a lot. Okay, so our next quotable is from chapter 10 and it says and Addie knows this is the end of this beautiful night the door slamming shut because she cannot stop them and once she's out of sight dot 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 this comes right at the end of the dinner party scene at B's um, for her birthday dinner I guess and Robbie gets so mad that he gets up and he's like I need a smoke first of all Robbie I do not like him. I have a visceral reaction when he's on the page. Do not like him. Zero out of ten. Just had to throw in there. Robbie's a jerk. That's literally like my first bullet point is Robbie (laughs) is a jerk. My second point with this is the importance of dinner parties in this book. There's so many in this book. And I think that... There has to be some kind of parallel here. 
I always say that food is such a connection to other people when, so I, for my full-time job, I am a manager and I have to manage, I have my own team and then I have a larger team that I am directly involved with on a regular basis. And as part of my job, I need people to like connect with me and trust me. And like, that's like a big part of kind of why, like what role I'm in and what, what I need to do. And a universal question that I ask that almost always lets, like, has people letting their guard down is what's your favorite food? Or what was your favorite food growing up? Or what is, like, what's your favorite thing to make, like, food related? Like, food is such a connection factor for, like, across cultures. Like, I think that's a beautiful way that we all have to eat. We all have to function properly so we all have to eat so like it's we all have a favorite food versus like not all of us have a favorite tv show not all of us have a favorite book not all of us have a favorite animal right but we all have a favorite food because of the nourishing factor that it is so I think food in and of itself is such a great way to explore other cultures and learn about people that are different from yourself and I think that that is super important. Now, back to the dinner parties, food is definitely a way to connect with other people. Like you go out to dinner and you, or you go out for coffee or something like that. Like that's how people connect and that's how people become friends. And I think it's so interesting that there's so many dinner parties in this book when Addie cannot have that experience, but she wants Mm -hmm. to be involved. So I pulled out a couple different demonstrations of this I guess so the first one that I pulled out was the dinner party that Luke made happen where he demonstrated his power by controlling the servants so that was such an interesting part because we learned so much about Luke through that dinner party the second was she was planning on having a dinner party with Luke and he didn't show rude (laughs) rude (laughs) yes (laughs) But he, the dinner that he, that she prepared, she worked so hard on and he just didn't show. There was Madame Joffrin's, I forgot what the word is in the book, but it's basically like a party with a bunch of food. Like that's like, she, there's a highlight, uh, Addie really focuses on the food there outside of Remy, right? And that was a big one. And then this dinner party with B and all the friends and Henry and Robbie and Addie. And I think I want to keep this in mind kind of moving forward that if we're going to a dinner party, we are either going to learn a lot of information or we're going to have a big something big that happens in the dinner party because that's been so consistent across this book. So very interesting. And they all end almost the exact same way. They all end in like somebody leaves or Addie feels betrayed by Luke or like she can't stop them. So she feels like she has to run away. All right. So our next two quotables are from chapter 12 and 13. So chapter 12, this is when she goes back to Milan for the first time in many, many years. I think it was 50 years. Um, So she's exploring. She's checking everything out. And it says the door groans shut and Addie knows as she walks away that she will never see her mother again. 
So she has this like very brief conversation with her mother. Obviously, she doesn't know who she is. And I just thought this was such a closed chapter part. Like we are closing the chapter on Balan in a way. Like this is her saying like, I will never be coming back here because obviously Estelle is no longer there. Her father has passed away. Um, I'm sure her friends, I mean, her friends haven't been her friends in years and are much, much older. I'm very surprised that her mother is still alive, but I think this is very relatable because we have a very complicated mother-daughter relationship because of her pushing her to be someone she's not and then Addie rebelling against that. So she almost needed to like have that closed chapter part and I I really liked that we came back to Valon so soon but it was so many years later I'm concerned that we're gonna be back in villain a lot in this book I saw I saw a tiktok that may have been a minor minor spoiler but it was like every time I think Addie's gonna do something interesting she just goes back to her hometown and I was like uh, ah. I, I wish I could remember who the creator was. If I can find it, I'll we'll tag them in our show notes. But I feel like we're gonna be here a lot. But I do agree that this is like a like we close the chapter on that mother daughter relationship. So, mm-hmm. and yeah. I think that was very her relationship with her mom really pushed her to make this deal. So. Yeah. I think we we really needed that. We really needed Addie to say goodbye to her mom in a way. Yeah. So that was really I good. wish she had gotten to say goodbye to her dad. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We love Daddy LaRue. All right. So our last quotable is from chapter 13. It's just, I believe you. This had me shook. I had literal shivers. I was like, yes, Henry. You believe her. <laughs> I mean, we prob- we already guessed that this could happen, that yeah. he would believe her because obviously something – he's not normal, even though we wanted him to be. And right. that just became very evident. So this had me shook, though. I was happy. I was thrilled, excited, nervous, all the feels. So I just had to include that. Yeah, I agree. I think that this that whole chapter, the the last chapter in this section, it's only like what a page and a half in the book. Yeah, <laughs> but it like I was holding my breath the whole time. So the entire time. Yeah, that brings us directly into our favorite quotes of Ooh. this part. Carrie, do you want to go first? Sure. And this is in the last chapter as well. Uh, it's because I made one too. That's from our guy, Henry. It's just, I just want to scream in nervousness (laughs) and excitement, but I will save your ears. Smart. What was yours? Mine was, I think you have too many mugs and it's from (laughs) Addie and she's like talking to Henry and like, they're like flirting back and forth. But I was like, yeah, yes, he does. He has too many mugs. That's right. My guy. Too many and yet not enough. Never enough. Our next section is the timeline recap. So since this book is out of chronological order a lot, this section is intended to put significant events of this book into chronological order. 
it's not pulling everything as a reminder. It's just pulling what I think is probably going to be significant. So we're focusing on those. Today, as a reminder, we are revisiting part the timelines from parts one, two, and three. So we're going to do a full recap really quick. We have 1698. Seven-year-old Adeline leaves villain for the first time. 1714, Addie strikes a deal with the god that answers after dark, after dark, who we now know to be Luke. She learns the rules of her deal pretty quickly. She makes her first deal, and she gets injured the first time, but heals quickly. So this 1714 was a huge learning year for Addie about her curse. 1715, the first anniversary where the darkness, Luke, shows up after she drugs the man. 1716, the second anniversary where the darkness walks her back to her house after she steals the dress. 1719, the fifth anniversary where the darkness shows his power by entrapping the servants for dinner. Again, throwing it back to his power and the dinner party. 1720, the anniversary where the darkness doesn't show. So heartbreaking. Again, another dinner party. The new additions to the timeline for this are 1724. Addie meets Remy, steals Voltaire, and starts to learn how to read. That's all in, it's not all in the same chapter, but it's all in 1724. And then we jump 30 years to 1751 and that's where Addie goes to Madame Joffrey's house and Luke ruins that dinner party. We're going to jump 300 years again to March 2014 and this is just in chronological order. Almost all of these are just like day after day after day. So we start on March 12, 2014. Addie meets Henry who remembers her when she tries to steal a book. The next day, Addie tries to return the Odyssey, and Henry remembers her, so they go out for drinks and dinner. Addie is finally able to tell somebody her name. Love that part. Mm -hmm. The next day, Addie and Henry go on their first date, like first, like, official date, not like... <laughs> I feel like the that when they go out for drinks and dinner, that wasn't an actual date. So, like, the first, like, official date is the next day. Mm -hmm. The next morning, Addie wakes up and Henry remembers the night before. The next day, I believe, is the dinner party. And then at the dinner party, Addie comes clean about the deal she made. And so does Henry. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, after the dinner party that happens. So lots going on. I think it's very interesting. And I noticed this more on this in this part than I have in other parts, but the past we're getting in chunks of years. We're not getting many chapters that are like both in 1720 or 1724 or 1751. We're really getting like when we go back in time, it really is one chapter um, after another. But the current timeline we're going through very slowly, which is really interesting to me that we are going through it so slowly that but still, like, a lot is happening over the course of th those days. So, right. a lot. very interesting. Our next segment is Timeless Treasures. So, this is each art piece at the beginning of each part that we I'm going to read. And then we will just chat quickly about. So, here we go. This is the Untitled Salon Sketch. The artist is Bernard Rodel. The date was circa 1751 to 1753. 
The medium is ink pen on parchment. The location is on loan from the Paris Salon exhibition at the British Library. The description is a rendering of Madame Joffrin's famous salon, brimming with figures in various stages of conversation and repose. Several recognizable personages, I'm going to like ruin these names, Rousseau, Voltaire, Diderot. I was homeschooled, so I'm not very good at pronouncing names. <laughs> the first one is just Rousseau. Rousseau. Okay. Yes. But the Perfect. rest of them, great job. Perfect. Love it. So they can be discerned among the group, but the most interesting inclusion is the three women circling the room. One is clearly Madame Joffrin. Another is believed to be Suzanne Necker. But the third, an elegant woman with a freckled face, remains a mystery. <laughs> we know Ooh. who she is. Not to us. <laughs> the background is, in, in addition to his contributions to Diderot's encyclopedia, Rodel was an avid draftsman and appears to have made use of his rendering skill during many of his installments in Madame Joffrin's salon. The freckled woman appears in several of his sketches, but is never named. The estimated value is unknown. So, I truly do not have too much to add to this because it's pretty clear the connection with Addie. But yeah. it is important to note and keep in mind that this is the first time we have an art piece that directly shows Addie in a physical representation in a historical oh, yeah. piece. So, I'm I'm sure we're going to see more because it seems to elevate each time. We have the little bird, which can't be really connected to Addie. Then we have the seven stars i think yep. from sam's mm -hmm. and now we have actual image of addy so we're getting more and more close to addy making her mark and yes I we are it. <laughs> it seems to follow that pattern that as she learns more about her curse the more specific the art pieces have become as representations of her so i love that we have a like a theme here of the unknown woman that's so interesting. I didn't even catch that. It's so cool. So I I had a little application sense to this particular art Ooh. piece. Um, so I recently moved from New Haven, Connecticut, and we went to the Yale Museum of Art sometimes because it was free. They have lots of really cool art pieces, lots of historical art pieces, crazy stuff. I can't believe we were just allowed to go in there for free, but so fun and i i really wish i had read this book before i went there because i think i would have had so much more fun when there was like a painting or a sculpture of an unknown person and just imagining mm -hmm. their story so if you go to a museum anytime let me know what kind of story you come up with because i'm i kind of want to go again to a museum and just find all the unknown and make up a story yeah, I I am not a museum. Well, I am a museum person. I am not an art museum person. So interesting. that's interesting. I wonder if after this book, if I try, if I could get into it. You should. It's a good call out. Our next section and our last section for this part of Addie LaRue is the sevens. As a reminder, there is a heavy theme of the number seven throughout this book. And because of that, we are calling attention to all the sevens that we see. As a reminder, we have, uh, this is the list of the sevens that we're keeping track of so far. 
and not all of these we're actually keeping track of. Some of them are just present, but these are this is the list of the sevens that we have. We have the seven freckles on her face, the seven parts in the book, the seven loves she will have, the seven lives she will lead, the seven gods watching over her, the seven stars on the cover of the book. I think we can tie that back to the freckles on her face. The seven art pieces, and which are at the beginning of each chapter, and then the seven languages, which is something that I added this week. Ooh. So we added two different types of sevens in this chapter, and I may have missed one, but we added uh, lovers. So, so far we had Toby, Sam, and Henry as three out of the seven lovers. We're still undecided about Toby if he gets one, but for now I think we're going to keep it. We are adding Remy, which I think we can be very confident that he is one, especially yes. since we re like she revisits him a lot like we see in 1751 at the dinner party all those things i think i'm gonna add luke and as i've said before i'm very nervous but i think we're gonna add him because we're we're getting the feeling we're getting the feeling uh i guess i don't like it but i, I kind of like it, it. My feelings are complicated. Very complicated. <laughs> so those are the two lovers I want to add for this um, part three. So we are now up to five lovers, just as a a, a, a number check. <laughs> We're only we, in part three. <laughs> yeah. That's why I think Toby and Sam for right now are going to stay. And I think Sam is has a solid spot because of the art piece that we see. Yes. But I don't think I'm still not completely sold on Toby. So we'll see. We may mm -hmm. only have four out of the seven, but we reserve <laughs> the right to change our minds. Yes. <laughs> I don't think we got any additional lives that we will lead. She was still in Paris. She was still in New York City. We didn't really get any additional things there. We didn't get any new gods here. We got a new art piece, but Carrie already covered that. And this week, like I said, I added the seven languages. And I don't know if she actually speaks seven languages, but we have four that I've caught so far. We may have five that I just totally forgot. But we have French, English, German, and Greek. And I cannot remember if... So she steals two books so far she stole the one from fred and she stole the one from henry the odyssey was in the original greek i am about 98 percent sure so we're gonna go with greek but i do not remember the language that fred's book the the book that she stole from fred was in so we may have a fifth one i'm gonna have to go back but i'm almost positive that was the german one i'm almost positive that's how far we got back so anyways, that's a recap of our sevens. Ugh, I love it. Well done. Thanks for pointing all those out. Of course. Clap, clap, clap. Now we are done with the book coverage, but we do have our weekly rec still for this week. Carrie, do you mm -hmm. want to go first? Sure. So this is a leave-in conditioner. It's a Hask nourishing spray. So I think that's just a Ooh. hair mask. But Ooh. it's coconut. Yeah. Cute, cute name. Cute. Well done. Great marketing. 
<laughs> but it's coconut scented and I will say it's not the best leave-in conditioner I've ever used, but it's my favorite for making my hair smell good because mm-hmm. it my hair is very thick and holds scent. So then if I spray that in, it does help with the brushing, but it more makes me feel good because it smells really nice. nice. So that's my weekly wreck. Check it out. You do always smell good. That's probably what it is. Oh, thanks. <laughs> My weekly rec this week is the Dermara Golden Glow Under Eye Patches. So I have very bad dark circles under my eyes, and I didn't realize it until about six months ago that I could actually do something about it, and I don't know why, but here we are. So these under the eye patches, I put them, they come the... You can get them in multiple different ways. You can get them in a little jar container where all of the patches are in one container, or you can get them individually packaged where there's like two in a package. I like the individually packaged ones because I can take them on a trip, and that's typically when I would want to use them. But you just put them in the fridge, and they're nice and cold, so they reduce puffiness, and they like take away your dark circles. So I love them. highly recommend them. I need to get those. I think I say this after every weekly rec that you give. I'm like, I need to get those. (laughs) And it's true. I mean, this is why we do this because we like Carrie and I share recommendations literally all the time. Yes. At least once a week beyond the podcast. Yes, exactly. It's good. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you stopping by and taking a listen. For more content, make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok. It's at Tomes and Tropes Pod. Or if you have thoughts about this episode or this book, email us at tomesandtropespod at gmail.com. But as a reminder, no spoilers, please. Or if you do have a thought, just put it in the subject line, spoilers, so we know we can come back and read to it. We would love to read it. And put the part. So like spoilers part four. Or like spoilers part seven. Yes. So we know when we can read it. Or just say read after you finish the book. We want to hear your thoughts, but Yes, we do. We don't want to spoil. Be spoiled. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but we'd love to hear your thoughts on what you think Henry's deal could be. Again, no spoilers, please. What your collection is. So Henry collects mugs. I collect mugs. What is your collection, listeners? We'd love to hear about it. And do you think that Luke deserves a lover spot? We'll see you next week. Stay curious. Keep reading and craft craft your own own story. story.